One of the things that we like to do uh, at our house when it comes to birthdays, uh, a lot of times they get extended. Uh, they go into two or three, four-day events, and, uh, and our kids love it. Uh, try to do it for my wife as well. And so we, 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 we want to do the same for Jesus. We want to welcome him uh, and, uh, and, and just honor his, his birth, his coming to rescue us and, uh, and blessing us, giving us life. Amen. Amen. 2015. Uh, this is our last time together on a Sunday morning uh, in this year. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, but this year we were busy. The rare home, uh, lots going on in our, our family, uh, schedule-wise. Just uh, And it went by fast. Did anybody year go by fast for them? It was busy. It just went boom, man. And... Uh, it, now, some of you said it, it was slow, and you're saying, Jesus, come back soon, you know, and, uh, and you're welcome him to come back, but uh, hey, 2016 is just around the corner, and uh, God has some great things. If, if Christ does not come back, he has some great things uh, for Calvary Church and for our lives, and I'm so excited about that, and I know that he's going to be doing some great things in our life. Uh, this morning, uh, if I hope that you received uh, a, a bulletin of uh, the sermon notes, uh, which there are no notes except a, a blank piece of paper with some lines on there. Uh, but on the, uh, the front of it, I, I love the picture that is on there. We've titled our message called Finishing Well. Uh, I love the picture of, a, of them climbing the mountain. Uh, I, I have it. Uh, there was a, sh a reality TV show on about four or five years ago, and it was called, I think it was, it was about climbing Mount Everest, and it's always been a dream of mine to climb Mount Everest, and my family thinks I'm absolutely crazy, uh, and I am, and uh, I don't know how I would do it. I'm not very good in the cold weather anymore. I was up north at one time, uh, but i am I've been here in the south for a, a long time. Uh, 20 years and my blood's thin. But uh, anyways, hey, uh, speaking of finishing well, uh, there's a book I just want to uh, throw out for the readers that are here. Uh, I have a lot of books there on my bookshelf. If you were to come into my office, you'll see it filled there. And I like to read. But one of the books that I read this year was called this, called Finishing Well by Bob Buford. Uh, he's a businessman and uh, very successful, uh, made a lot of money, but a man who really loves God, and God has used him in a very powerful way. He's written two books, uh, one called Halftime. Uh, it's kind of targeted for those who are in their 20s and 30s, especially those who are in the age 30s, young 40s, in the halftime of their life, and just kind of just takes an examination of, you know, what was your first half of your life? like, uh, and you're getting ready to go into your second half of your life and, and just kind of evaluate it. It's a great book. But this one, uh, this is the one that, that are, are for the people that are in the third or fourth quarter of their life. Uh, I, I'm definitely in, in, in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter of my life, and this is something that I'm personally interested uh, uh, about finishing well in my life. Uh, I, I've looked at retirement totally in a, in a different way, not in an American way, 
but in a biblical way. And, and I would encourage for those that are here, uh, you're working, uh, you're raising kids, whatever it is, I, 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 I highly recommend. It was a life-changing book for me. So I just kind of want to finish it. Uh, just give that to you this year. Maybe take a peek at that, read that book. I think you really enjoy it. Speaking of finishing well, did anybody watch or hear the news of the Miss Universe pageant this week? Uh, one of the most bizarre freak uh, 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 endings of all pageant history. If you didn't uh, pay attention or didn't hear or see it on TV, I don't watch those things, but I did hear the news about it. Uh, at the end, uh, uh, Miss Columbia was crowned Miss Universe. Beautiful lady, and, and she's smiling there and, and happy and all that, and the tears and all that what goes with it. And then about two minutes later, uh, <clears throat> Uh, there's been a, a terrible mistake that's been, uh, uh, that has happened right here. Uh, Miss uh, Columbia is not Miss Universe. It's Miss Philippines, you know. And so the, the crown is taken off her head and put onto the other lady. I mean, can you imagine the humiliation and the embarrassment? Uh, I mean, they, they said she, she's been traumatized. In fact, the country of Co Columbia is just all shaken up over this incident. Now, this lady that has been traumatized, she is going to make a lot of money off of that mistake. So I don't feel too bad for her anyways. But anyways, uh, speaking of ending, our year is coming to an end. And I'm just curious, how do you feel your year went? And uh, as you just have a couple more days left, uh, how has it ended for you? Uh, I want to ask you a, a couple of different areas. How did you, how did you do how, when it comes to ending, when it came to your family? your family relationships with your brothers and sisters, your parents, your sons and your daughters, your, your spouse, your friends, uh, co-workers. How did you do in the area of relationships? How about in the area of fitness? Uh, how did you do? Uh, did you have a strong year? Did you, did, were you able to exercise? Did you eat better? Did you take really good care of your body? I mean, uh, was, was it a fruitful year? How about your finances? Uh, was it a struggle for you? Uh, was, it, was it a year of blessing? Did you find yourself uh, getting out of the red and into the black, saving some money, being able to sow into God's kingdom, being able to bless other people, being able to give? I mean, uh, you've seen a financial windfall. I mean, it's been, it's been great. But especially, how did you finish this year in the area, probably most important of all, is the area of faith. Those other areas, the body, okay, uh, and those other, those are going to be fading away. But the one thing that's going to last forever is our spirit, uh, our relationship with God. And I just want to ask, how did you end up this year? Uh, how did it go through 2015 in your relationship with God? Was it a year of, of downs and ups and down and ups? Was, was it a year maybe just kind of like this where you just were kind of, kind of cruising? You know, what, you weren't really up. You weren't really down. You just, you know, things weren't really too bad. Uh, it wasn't real good, but it wasn't really bad. 
But I really didn't find myself really aggressively pursuing a relationship with God. Or, or with some of you this year, I mean, it, it was good. I mean, it just was this kind of climate. And man, he said, man, I got close to God like I've never been before. I, I've heard his voice. I've experienced his presence. I've been able to pray for people. I've been able to share my faith. I read my Bible and God speaks to me. I mean, it's just been so alive and I'm so excited about even the next year that, that is coming up. And, and I, I want to ask you, how, how did you do this year when it comes to your relationship with God? Now, like anybody, for those who, are, who aspire to be married here, uh, and and in your heart, you say, man, I would, uh, man, this year, 2016, I would just like to get married. I, I'm praying for God to send someone my way, and and that's a good, that's a good desire to have, and, and that God's placed it within our hearts. But make no mistake, for those who are, are married, they would tell you this. I mean, God can bring people into our lives, and and awesome people. He has some. I believe that God has people for us that we can be married, and we can have a, a relationship. That is awesome, but for anybody that's been married, those relationships that are good don't happen by osmosis. Those relationships, a, a marriage, it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of work. Any married couples want to say amen to that? Okay, so uh, you, you just can't ride, you know, uh, on what happened in the past. Hey, man, we love each other, you know. Uh, no, it, it really takes some, it, it takes some work. And, and the same goes with our relationship with God. And, and, and the great news is, man, if you found yourself like, man, I've been down and I've just been messing up, you know, the great news about God is, is he just, he never checks out. He, he, he's not going to leave you no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much you've blown it, even though you may have known better. Uh, he, he's a God of mercy and a God of grace. He never checks out. He, he's faithful to us all the time. Now, when it comes to us, that's a different story. I mean, we do our thing, and, and there's times that we turn our back on God, and, and we drift away. And, and I don't think anybody here in this room really ever wants to do that. But I, I know that there are people, this has been your relationship with God this year. In fact, that's probably been the mark of your, your walk with God since you became a Christian, up and down and up and down. You say, I would love to just get into a place where I'm just kind of going upward. I'm growing each year. I'm getting closer and closer to God. And, and so I want to pray here this morning that God would just help us here in these next few moments as we look at 2015, getting ready to go into 2016, but how we can finish this year, these next few days, and finish them well. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to say thank you for your mercy and grace that has brought us here. Thank you, God, that you've never given up on us. Lord, we've given up on ourselves. We, we've, we've thrown the towels in the time. So what's the use? But God, we don't want to be in that place. God, we want to be in a place where we love you with all of our heart. Help us to hear your word. And God, I pray that you would speak through your messenger here today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Luke chapter 2, verse 52. As we look at our life uh, to see if there's fruit in our life, did, did we grow, uh, 
I want you to kind of go to a verse that I spent a week on. When I was being ordained, I had been in the ministry for about five years and spent a week with about, about 50 guys and the pastor that was taking us through the, our ordination, that whole process, he spent a week about unpacking this verse and just kind of uh, shared some practical things from that and how to apply it to our life. And this uh, uh, obviously uh, is about Jesus. And it says that Jesus, who, by the way, uh, is without sin, he, he, has, he was God, he becomes a man, uh, he was a little baby, uh, teenager. Now, he, uh, he, he grows up, and the Bible says, through the time that he was a little baby, up until the time that we hear this, it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature. I mean, he was growing in his mind, uh, his stature. He was, he was strong. He was not a wimp. He took good care of his body, and he grew in favor with God and man. He had relationship with God. It was strong, uh, and he had favor with God as well as man. And, and I think about this, if Jesus, who was without sin, had a pattern of growth, how much more so do you and I need to be growing in our life? Would you say amen to that? Let me take you to uh, a couple of scriptures here this morning, uh, because I, I know this, for me, human tendency, I mean, is to relax, you know, we've had some victories, you know, and, and you know, thank you, Lord, and we just kind of rest back on our laurels, and we just kind of sit back, but God wants us, I believe, to continue to keep on growing, and there's a reason for that, and we're going to see this here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, I'm going to read from the, the message translation. It says, when John realized, this is John the Baptist, that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees, by the way, if you don't know what a Pharisee is and a Sadducee, a Pharisee and a Sadducee were the religious leaders of that time. They knew the scriptures. If you were a Pharisee, they knew the first five books of the Bible backwards and forth. They had had it memorized. These were the teachers of God's word, okay? So they, they were in the temple. They were, they were the one teaching the Ten Commandments. Now here comes these Pharisees and these Sadducees. They show up to a baptismal service that was going on. And, and John says, because it was becoming the popular thing to do. And he exploded, brood of snakes. How would you like to, as a religious leader, to be called a snake? But John calls him a snake. Who do you think you're, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river, okay? And so he, here you are, snakes, and you're just kind of coming down. Do you think that a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can call, pull rank by claiming Abraham as your father, being a descendant of Abraham, is neither here nor there. Descendants of Abraham are a dime a dozen. Well, what is that about? What's John saying right there? They, they thought because they were just Jews, they were descendants of the patriarch. I mean, he was a hero right there. Abraham, just by being Jews, God's special favor was upon them, and they were in. God loved them just by just being a mere Jew. And, and he says, hey, just because you have the title and the blood of a Jew doesn't mean that you have God's favor on your life. He says, what counts is your life? Say that with me. What counts is your life? Here it is. Is it green and blossoming? 
Is there fruit? Is there growth in your life? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. So uh, John the Baptist, uh, who is a, a prophet of God, Jesus calls him the greatest of all the prophets. In fact, the greatest of all human beings. And he's preaching a fiery sermon, and he's telling it like it is. He says, man, he says, if there's not fruit, he says, it doesn't matter whether you're a religious person. You go to church on Sundays. If there's not fruit that's coming out of your life, he says, the opposite's happening. It's dead wood, and it goes into the fire. Jesus put it this way. He uses this, uh, this parable out of Luke chapter 13. It's the only one that's recorded out of, out of, uh, out of all this, this particular one. And it says, he began to tell them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree that had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the vineyard keeper, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground, depleting the soil and blocking the sunlight? But he replied to him, let it alone, sir, just one more year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit after this, fine. But if not, cut it down. So here clearly... Uh, it is, it's real clear in, in the scriptures, God is looking for fruit in his children's lives. He's looking for fruit that, I believe, for three reasons. Uh, you can write this down. Number one, okay, it, it, and this is the number one, when fruit is coming, and it's talking about spiritual life and growth, it, it brings glory to God. Uh, number two, if, you're, if you become a fruitful person, spiritual fruit, okay, it's going to be a blessing to other people. Your life is going to be helping other people, other brothers and sisters, and other people who don't know Christ. And number three, it's going to be a blessing in your own life. There's, there, it's a great feeling, okay? We don't take pride in this, but all of a sudden, here, you're this way, and, and, be, and because you're cooperating with the Lord, you're, you're practicing what he's been speaking to you, you're putting it into practice, all of a sudden, here you are, this person, and now you're becoming like this person. You're growing, okay? You've been a person that was so impatient, angry, and all of a sudden you become more patient and more loving. There's a great feeling to that, and you can say, God, thank you so much. So God is looking for fruit in our lives. Why is that? Let's go to a, another scripture. We're going to go through a number of these here this morning. This is the reason, another reason why God is looking for fruit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a house of God where the Holy Spirit lives. God gave you his Holy Spirit. Now you belong to God. You do not belong to yourselves. God bought you with a great price, so honor God with your body. You belong to him. Now, when it says here that God bought you with a great price, what did he buy us? What, what was the currency 
The currency was his son's blood. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that means when, when the Holy Spirit was speaking to you and, and you realized you came across, whether you were a little kid, a teenager, or an adult, all of a sudden you recognize, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need, I need a savior in my life. God, forgive me. I mean, we're totally, we're washed clean. I mean, God sees us. He doesn't see us through all of our mistakes and our failures of the past. He sees us clean and washed in his son's blood. We're in because of we've put our faith in what Christ did for us on the cross. Not what we've done, not our good deeds, but what he's done. So, and so he purchased us with his blood. And then we said, Lord... I, I give you my life. I mean, you're in charge. I want to do it your way, God. I want to live your way and according to your precepts and your plans and your teachings. And, and when, when, when he becomes the owner, he gets to call the shots, okay? Uh, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. He, he, he has ownership rights of our life. He says, you, you and I belong to God, okay? So here's what I believe. A life or a person who seeks to honor God will bring forth good fruit in their life. No question about it. If it's in your heart, I mean, this is probably one of the evidence of, of knowing whether you're a child of God. There's something inside of you that says, I want to know you, God. I want to know you. And God, I want to be used by you, Lord. I want my life to count. Now, in, in the midst of that, here we are. We're human beings. We've got frailties. We have weaknesses. We have baggage. We have hang-ups. We've got hurts. And God knows all of that. But he says, I, I'm looking at your heart and what I'm he hearing from your heart and your prayers, it's coming from the depth of your being. I'm going to use you, and I want to let you know, daughter, I want to let you know, son, that I love you, and you're in, and I want you to be close to me. How does it happen, though? John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus uses a metaphor, a word picture. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. To the gardeners that are here that know something about, you know, planting seeds and trees and bushes and fruit and all that, you, you know that if you're going to have a, a bumper crop, I mean, one of the things that is necessary is the process called pruning, cutting off some of the, 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 the deadwood and the branches and, and, and getting rid of those. And as we do that, more fruit comes forth in our life. Now, what's interesting about this, this analogy uh, that Jesus is using, who's he talking to? First of all, he's talking to the 12 disciples. He's not talking to the masses, to the crowds, but he's talking to the 12. Where is it happening? It's happening in the upper room, and it's about to, and it's, it's right there the night that he's going to be betrayed, okay? And the, the disciples are going to leave him, and he's going to go to trial. So here in the midst of, of just before Jesus is going to be crucified, he shares this lesson. He said, there's going to be a pruning that's going to come forth in your life if you want to be one of my disciples because God wants to be fruitful in your life. And then they go through this, what I call the test. And we, we find out about what this test was going to be about. It's there in Matthew ch chapter 26. And, and it was a prophecy that Jesus picked up on. 
And he's there in the upper room, and he says, this very night, Matthew 26, 31, you will all fall away on account of me. He's talking to the 12. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, which is me, and the sheep, you disciples of the flock, you will be scattered. And then it says down to verse 56, they come for Jesus, and it says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Okay, not a great finish, okay? Not a great finish when you've been a follower and a disciple and now an apostle of Jesus Christ and he's about to go to the death. They don't have a strong finish. They desert him. So what I want to do here this morning, I want to talk about three of the disciples out of the 12 here this morning and I want to take a look at their lives and two, two of them finished well. One was a disaster. I want to kind of look at their lives. I want to take a, there's a couple of life lessons I want to look at to what we can glean from them and how we can finish strong, not only here in 2016, but whenever Jesus comes back or he calls us home, okay? So let's take a look at that here this morning. Uh, The other eight or the other nine, not much is said about them even after the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Out of the 12 disciples, after Jesus ascends to heaven, there's only three of them that get major ink. It's Peter, James, and John. Those are the disciples. The rest of them, uh, they just kind of fade into the sunset. We really don't see much, or their names mention much in the scriptures. They just kind of fade into the, but what history does teach us about the other ones that we don't hear much about is they all died a martyr's death with the exception of John the Apostle. So what I want to do here today is end this year well. And, and, and if, you've been, if you've been down or you've been up and down, let's let, take some good notes here. So let's look at this guy, uh, synonymous with being a backstabber. His name is Judas. His, his ending was a disaster. He committed suicide by hanging himself. The question is, how can a guy who was called by Jesus come and follow me? He becomes... This follower of Christ, he goes from follower to a disciple of Christ to an apostle of Christ. He's sent now by the Lord. Jesus gives him power, it says. He's been endued with power. He says, I give you authority. And he says, go ahead, pray for the sick, preach the kingdom of God, uh, exercise demons out of people. And here Judas was used powerfully by God. I mean, I mean signs and wonders, miracles, we're going on. And then all of a sudden, this, this last year, and, and there's an event that happens, and he gets tripped up. What was the tipping point that all of a sudden, I mean, he makes this disaster decision, not only to, to turn away from Jesus, he becomes a deserter. He, he makes a decision that I don't want to have anything to do with him, but destroy him. Let's look at it here this morning. Mark chapter 14. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. That was the disciples, but the one that was speaking loudest in this conversation, it was Judas. 
And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body and beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has been done will also be told in memory of her. Look at what happens. Then... Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to portray Jesus to them. What happened right here? Why would all of a sudden a guy go from follower uh, to disciple to apostle, and this event all of a sudden said, I, I've had it. I'm not going to be a follower of Christ any longer. That past year, the third year of Jesus' ministry, a number of different times, he talked about how he was going to uh, go to Jerusalem and he was going to be persecuted and he was going to die. And then it was this event and, which then tells about how the Messiah, and he recognized, I mean, Judas said, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, and because he is the Messiah, in case anyone doesn't know what a Messiah was to a Jew, the Messiah was the ruler. He was the president. He was the powerhouse. He was the guy in charge. But not only was he in charge, I mean, but he had, he had power. And the Jews along with him would be ruling uh, the rest of the people around him. Life would be better. Life would not be difficult. And, and, and to have the Messiah and to have a dead Messiah... He's saying to himself, I'm not going to give my life to a dead Messiah. I'm not going to be praying to a dead Messiah. Okay, he's been fooling us for the last three years, and he cashes in his chips. Things did not go the way that he wanted. And what he perceived what the Messiah should do. And now, how does that apply to you and us? How does that apply to you and us? Here's the problem. There are people that have left God, that have walked away from God because they constructed a false Jesus. They made, they made Jesus to be other something that they said, you know what, if I, if I get Jesus in my life, my life is going to be so much better. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to have near the amount of problems in my life. And that's not what Jesus teaches, by the way. Let me take you to a couple scriptures. Mark 8, 34 he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. How many know that a cross is a difficult thing to take up? What is a cross? It's an instrument of death. It's an instrument for the Romans back when they were going to execute a criminal and you had to take a cross. I mean, and, and you were carrying your cross to the place of Golgotha, to the place of the skull where you would be crucified. And when you were carrying that cross, it was showing your total submission to Rome. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, he says, you've got to be totally submitted to me. And where I lead you, it will not always be pleasant. It will not always be, be easy. In fact, it can be very difficult, even deadly. And we saw this past year on the beaches there over in the middle of East, people who would not bow down to a false god to, to, and, and, and <coughs> there in, in orange jumpsuits on their knees. They say, no way, I'm giving my life for Christ. To follow Jesus is to say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, Lord, even to the point of death. 
He went to even go so far as to say in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace in me. In the world, you will have much trouble. He said, there's going to be a lot of bad things going on all around you. He says, but in me, you will have peace. And take hope. I have the power over the world. The key to peace, the key, he, he, he never promises, you know, a life, you know, uh, it's going to be great after you, uh, I'm in your life. He never makes that promise. He does make this promise that in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of evil, in the midst of an unfair life, he says, my peace can rest upon you. It's a promise that's given to all of us. How do we get that peace? It's found in him. So number one, Judas said, my life is not going you know, I, uh, the way I wanted. I, I, I thought this is what Christ was going to do. He doesn't answer my prayers. He hasn't been doing things for me. It's really not cut out what it really is to be. And I want to tell you, don't take the path of Judas. Understand, there's going to be a tough road if you follow Christ. Let's look at Thomas. Thomas, what was he famous for? Thomas the what? The doubter, okay. How many know that his ending was good? Okay, he had a good ending, okay, but he went through a rough patch. Jesus makes this prediction. All of you are going to, uh, you're going you're to abandon me when it really gets rough and tough. You're going to all leave me. And Thomas was one of those. In fact, Thomas almost came to the point where it was almost permanent. Jesus comes back to life, the resurrection. He shows himself to the, to the apostles, but Thomas isn't there. He, does, he doesn't hear about it. And, and it says here in John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Talking about the resurrection. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his sides, I will not believe. He is absolutely resolute. Totally hard-hearted at this point. You have to understand, what, what, I mean, the, the ladies, the news was around that Jesus had come back to life. There, the news was buzzing around Israel. Uh, Jesus had made an appearance not only to the, to the apostles but to others as well. He had heard about it. But what is really interesting, the, the disciples are with Thomas and they said, Thomas, listen. We saw Jesus. He came to us. He visited us. Now, I would think that after three years, spending three years with some guys at, and praying over people, being involved in the ministry, that you would get close to one another. That, that if, 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 if someone told you, your brother, and said, I saw God do this, that you would believe this. He's so hard-hearted, he doesn't believe it. And, and there's an application because there are people probably here in this room, you've read the scriptures, you've heard about things, you've heard testimonies before, and you kind of said, well, that, that sounds just too good to be true. You know, you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't really believe that that really has happened. That's just a bunch of hype. You see the scriptures, the promises of God? It's hype. And here you are. You're here this morning. But no one knows your spiritual condition. No one knows what you believe. You rarely pray. The words that come out of your mouth, uh, many times negative when you're faced with a very difficult situation. 
Instead of praying, you, you find yourself worrying. You don't find yourself going to God. I mean, you're trying to figure it out in your own human intellect, okay? No faith, no faith when tough situations. You feel burdened, but you have no peace. And you're right where Thomas was at. But look at what happened to Thomas. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he just walked right through, through the doors or through the wall. And he said to them, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, he looks right at him, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, this last phrase, stop doubting and believe, that's not a suggestion. He's telling, he's telling to him, Thomas, stop doubting. This is a command that was given to him. You've been given so much evidence that I am alive, that I'm around. You've heard the story. Their brothers and sisters, they haven't been lying to you. Stop doubting. Believe. And notice what happens here in verse 28. He hears these words. My Lord, my God. Significant phrase. Thomas, he, he sees him. He touches his hands, the side. It's significant. When you look at the, uh, the conversations between the disciples and Jesus, when they're talking, and many times they address him as teacher and at, or as rabbi. But Thomas doesn't use teacher or rabbi. He goes, my Lord, my God, I recognize you are who you are. And then Jesus says, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This last part of the verse applies to you and I. Uh, unless Jesus, uh, through a, a, a vision, or he comes to our room or whatever it is, uh, the likelihood of us seeing him face-to-face as that Thomas said, probably won't happen. Can it happen? Absolutely. But I want to tell you this. As he did for Thomas, he will do for us if we will be honest seekers after him. God has called you and I to walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Another translation puts it this way, for we live by faith and not by sight. Jesus said, for those who live by faith, okay, and not by sight, they have a special blessing on our life. When we make a decision that, that hey, God is not, doesn't seem to be present, things are not going the way that I planned, but I'm trusting in you, Lord. Lord, I believe, God, that my outcome is going to be good. Lord, no matter what happens, God says there's a special blessing that rests upon us. The question is, will we be willing to wait and trust even if it's a long time. Let's look at Peter. He had a great ending. And his intention, when he heard the words of Jesus, he says, you're all going to desert me. You're all, you're, you're all going to flee away. And he, had, he said, you know what? That ain't going to happen. I mean, his intention was good. He wanted to prove the Messiah wrong. And he came close. He almost made it, but he failed there in the end. Here in verse 33 of Matthew 26, it says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others, disciples, said the same. Here, Peter, some say he's, he's exuding confidence. Some say cockiness. Others say this is love that's speaking. He so loves the Lord. Lord, I'm going to stick with you. And here we know the story, how the story ends. They, they come, the mob comes for Jesus. There's Judas with the crowd, with the religious people. And, 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 and Peter is right there in the midst of the action and, and the torches that are going on. They're getting ready to take away Jesus. He pulls out a sword. Okay, he did this, and he cuts off a guy's ear. He meant business. I'm staying with you, Jesus. And, I, mean, I mean, guy's ear falls to the ground, and Jesus died. Stop, stop it, stop, stop. Peter, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Jesus, in mercy, picks up the guy's ear, puts it back on, and, and the guy, it's, it's reattached. But right there, and so they, they get ready, they're taking Jesus away, and then all the disciples scatter along with Peter. But Peter's close by. He's, he's watching the mob as they're taking him there to the palace, and he's going to be interrogated and go to trial, and he's following closely, and he comes into the courtyard, and, and the story goes like this, that, that there was a, it, it, I just saw this for the first time today, it said there was a, a, a little girl that came up to him and said, you're one of his disciples, and he denied it. And then it said there was another little, little girl. I find it interesting it says little girl instead of a woman. And it was a woman. I mean, he couldn't stand up under the scrutiny of a little girl. And, and so he denies it. And then someone else from the crowd, someone that was older then, uh, said, your accent gives you your way. You're one of those Galileans. You're one of his. And then he began to curse and use profane language and, and, and profanity. He said, no, I'm not. And then all of a sudden, the rooster crows, and, and he begins to break down, and, and he sees Jesus' face. It looks right there at him, and he sees his failure. He's been totally humiliated at that point. And verse 35 gives us the correct answer to his failure, why he didn't finish well. And one of the reasons why we struggle and why we don't finish well at times, I want you to see this here in verse 35. Peter said this, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Twice he uses this personal pronoun, I. Jesus, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And this is a statement, not of just, I, I believe that there was a statement of devotion, but there was also a major statement of pride. Folks, our good intentions and can only take us so far. Why we fail to finish strong as we do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own power. Jesus puts it this way, how we, why we struggle, but how we can make it across the finish line, climb the top of the mountain and get to the peak. Here's how it happens. He said, remain in me, verse 4, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He's talking about spiritual fruit. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The good news, the ending to the story when it came to Peter, was he was reinstated to the ministry again. Failed miserably, had great intentions, but he embarrassed himself. 
Even in the midst of his failure, Jesus says, I need you on my team. I want you on my team. In fact, God's going to use you in a very powerful way. And we know that it was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. He's the first one to preach the first sermon. And God uses him, and 3,000 people get saved that day. God reinstates him. And I want to just say to those that are here today, if this is you right now, 2016 spiritually, you maybe flatline, maybe you're just down. Maybe you've been down here for a while. You've just been kind of going through the motions on a Sunday morning. You sing the songs of the Lord, but the song of the Lord is not on your heart. Um, you've given up. You said, man, I just can't do this. And you're right, you can't do it, but you can through him. And I want to just say, please listen to this. Because the, 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 the accuser, the devil, wants to point out your mistakes and your faults. God says, I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm not, listen, he's saying this to you, I'm not mad at you. I haven't given up on you. You may have given up on yourself. You may be frustrated with yourself, but I'm not frustrated with you, and I'm not mad at you. Trust in me. Be connected to my son. It's going to be through my son and through the Holy Spirit. You're going to grow. There's going to be much fruit, and it's going to bring glory to me. It's going to touch other people's lives, and you're going to feel so much better. But I want to tell, for those who are here, and you say, gosh, it... Man, it's just, I'm, I've, I've been in this valley. He never leaves the person that's in the valley. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Never, ever, 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 no matter how bad you've blown it. It's the good news. Even if you know better, he still comes. He's pursuing you with his love. Let me say that's good news. Amen? Let's close our eyes for a second.